Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. Welcome. You know, as much as we would love to be worshiping in this sanctuary with a room full of, of congregation and just having a blessed time, and we look forward to the day when we are back together in here. We are going to worship from this stage, and we encourage you, wherever you are watching from, wherever you are listening from, Join in this worship as we worship with you and I encourage you to raise a hallelujah to the Heavenly Father who loves us every day. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my 
Heavenly Father, this morning we came to raise a hallelujah, Lord, in the presence of our enemy, we raise a hallelujah. You are great. We sing to you this morning. Great are you, Lord, because our breath comes from you, Lord, in your word, it said, if we do not praise, the rocks will cry out, and they will praise. And so, Lord, we lift up our praise to you this morning. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all of the blessings in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials. God, you're still on the throne, and you deserve our praise. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. And as long as we have breath, we will sing and we will praise to your greatness because you are worthy, Lord. We thank you for this morning and we pray that you would have your way in every heart that is listening. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If this is your first time with us today, we want to thank you so much for joining us and invite you to fill out our online communication card. That just gives us a chance to reach out to you, answer your questions, pray with you, connect with you. We would love to do that. And if you guys have kids, we have children's ministry available for kids every Sunday as well. So at nine o'clock, the SBCC Kids YouTube channel puts out great content for your kids to build in their relationship with God and to grow in their relationship with God. And then at 9.30, the elementary age, so first through sixth grade, there are small group breakout Zoom sessions available for your kids. So they watch the message at nine and then they have some time together with their small group leaders and they do games and activities and they unpack what they talked about in the video earlier that day. So if you would like more information on how to get access to that, go ahead and reach out to Pastor Ron Tuman. He'll give you uh, the details for that at the email provided. Also, we just wanted to give you a quick update as far as our intention to regather. At this time, we're going to continue to remain online through the first weeks of February. And so this is all in an effort, again, just to be good neighbors and to love others well. And just with all that is happening right now, we just want to make sure that people are remaining safe. And we understand the desire and we also long for the desire or with a desire to, to gather together. We are just prayerfully just being watchful in terms of what's happening uh, with infection rates in our county and just folks who are dealing with it within our own church family. So we're extending our online time through the first few weeks of February. And as soon as more information is available or if anything changes, we will be sure to let you know. Also, there are so many great opportunities to serve. And one of those ways to serve is through our Renewed Thrift Store, which is right across from the church. And Renewed takes new and like new items and sells them in the store. And 100% of the proceeds go toward feeding families in our area, in our community here in Lemoore. And that's done through Lemoore Christian Aid. And we are looking for people who are interested in joining that team, the volunteer team at Renewed. And so if you are interested in making a huge difference in so many lives in our community, please reach out to Lerma and we'll put her contact information here for you so that you know how to get a hold of her and jump on in, you guys. It is amazing in there. Some wonderful things happening. So just make sure to reach out if you are interested in volunteering and giving of your time and your talents to be able to serve. And lastly, if this is your church home, is South Valley's your church home, we just want to remind you that online giving is indeed available still. What you can do is go on the Church Center app and you can give that way or you can go to svcclamore.org slash donate and you can give that way as well. And we just want to say thank you so much for your giving, for your, your generosity as in doing so you provide opportunities for the gospel to be continually ministered through the many avenues of ministry that we as a South Valley family get to operate with. So we are so thankful again, just for you, for your viewership, for uh, hanging out with us and just being a part of the body of Christ. And we just look forward to what the Lord has to say through the message today. And if you again, have any questions, feel free to reach out to us and we would love to help y'all take care and have a wonderful day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, through this time, as we continue to be separated from our brothers and sisters in Christ here on Sunday mornings, Lord, we thank you for the ability to still connect, the ability to still worship, the ability to, to remain a part of each other's lives, Lord. And Lord, as we work through these trials, Lord, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups that we may all be experiencing through this, we thank you for the work that you continue to do. Lord, we know that you are with us in the good times. Lord, I pray that we all understand that you are with us when the times aren't going our way, when we are not on that mountaintop, Lord, maybe when we're in some, some valleys, in some dark places, Lord. I pray that we each remember to reach out. You are there that we seek you, we find you, Lord, and we let you guide us through all the challenges that come our way. Lord, I pray this morning that you speak powerfully through the message that we're going to hear. Lord, I pray that each one watching and listening this morning, uh, that hearts are touched, that maybe hearts are changed, Lord. Maybe, maybe someone's watching for the first time through encouragement and doesn't know you. There's no relationship there, Lord. We pray that this morning that may be, this may be the message that lights that spark. Lord, we pray that you're with us now. We love you. We thank you for what you continue to do in your heavenly name.
Amen. Well, thank you, Robert, and Celebrate Recovery team. Really appreciate you leading us in worship this morning, and uh, we're doing it. We're doing it through the fog. The Thule fog has come into the into the church auditorium. Okay, like we're going to battle COVID, and now we're going to battle fog. Okay, <coughs> thank you guys. Appreciate it. Okay, so uh, we reach the fourth Sunday of 2021. Wow, January is moving fast. Ten weeks to Easter. Yeah. Okay. And much has happened in our nation in the first 24 days of this new year. This week, uh, last week, America inaugurated its 46th president, uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. And beyond the drama of the past many days, beyond this election and this transfer of power and, and all that's going on, and beyond whatever your color, your politics might be, a ceiling has been broken, and America has its first female vice president, and that's something historic, and it reflects to a degree the, the image of God that, who created us male and female yet equal. And so as, as followers of Christ and seeking to be good and godly citizens, we pray for our new president, our new vice president. We pray that they would be humble. We pray that they would be wise. We pray that their policies would not hinder or distort the gospel. We pray that they would remember the vulnerable and the poor, and especially as this weekend is the sanctity of human life, that they would protect the most vulnerable unborn babies. And we pray that they would bring healing to a sadly divided and hurting nation. And as we pray that as the church, we also pray for the church, that we, its members, followers of Christ, that we would remember that we are a subversive movement. Uh, we're not a movement that's ever moved from a place of power, but we're an alternative community, and we're the people of the cross. We're a people who belong to God, and we had our inauguration. We were inaugurated into His kingdom, uh, which is not of this world. And that's what we have to pray and seek to come, God's kingdom to come, and His will be done. So, uh, in the history of all this happening in our nation, we remember who we are as a church, and we pray, and we work for God's, God's reign and His rule to happen. So, uh, this is another extra preach from me in the book of Mark's gospel, and I think I'll probably get two more guys. Next week, Seth is going to be preaching, and then on the 7th and the 14th, it'll be myself again. Uh, and so, the Apostle Paul, uh, he summed up the entire law of God with these words. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why we've been doing online Sunday services for the past few weeks and likely through into mid-February. Uh, it's an outworking of the gospel. Uh, we want to put love for our neighbor at the forefront of how we operate. And that's not easy. I mean, uh, uh, it's not easy because it means loving someone else more than we love ourselves. And more than we love our own preferences and more than we love our own desires. And that's just not easy. Uh, but the law of God, which is a work of God's grace, grace and love do not compete. Uh, it, it compels us to love our neighbor. So, thank you guys. Thank you for being willing to join together in loving others, even if it means denying ourselves gathering together for a few more weeks. And we'll keep you informed when we swing the doors open and people can begin to mingle again in this building soon, but not quite yet. Now, let's come back to preaching in Mark's gospel, okay? And build off of last Sunday's message. Uh, actually, quite interesting. I'm actually preaching in four churches at this very minute, okay? And all in Mark's gospel, but all in different parts of Mark's gospel. So, uh, uh, this is quite clever because of technology, okay? So, uh, 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 yeah, it's just good to be here again in Lamore. But last week, 
Last week, we had Jesus confronting the three major fears of the people of His time, the fear of evil, the fear of fevers and illness, the fear of isolation. And Jesus was never into theories. Uh, he didn't theoreticalize how to, how to live. He was into the actuality of living. And so, God's kingdom has now come, and people do not need to live in fear. And so, He casts out the evil spirit, and He, he calms the fever, and He takes someone who was condemned to life on the margins, and He walks them back to wholeness and connectedness, and it's all good news. And, and that's what each gospel is about. It's what the word gospel means, good news. But the pen of Mr. Stumpfingers, Mark, as he was nicknamed Colobodilactylus, he's just finished his first chapter, and as he picks up his pen to write the second chapter, the good news seems to almost vanish. And Jesus is no longer facing crowds who want to be healed and be amazed at His teachings, chapter 1, but He's faced with opposition, He's faced with hostility, He's faced with critics, He's faced with controversy. And personally, <laughs> that's a part of the Jesus that I'm attracted to. Jesus was controversial. And a, a central topic of the controversy around Jesus was the idea of being religious or, or better, being righteous. And let me explain for a few minutes why this was controversial. So, you're going to have to stick with me for like six or seven minutes here, okay, uh, before I really start preaching because I need to do a little bit of context and history. And if it's not your gig, then… I, do whatever you want to do for the next six or seven minutes, okay? At the heart of Judaism, the Jewish system of faith, faith was the law. Like, I wish we'd had some, like, drum roll there. The law, okay? The law, dramatic music, the law was composed of the big ten moral laws, uh, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, no other gods before God, not make any craven idols to bow down, not to misuse the Lord's name, to observe the Sabbath and honor father and mother, not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not give false witness, and thou shalt not dress in black and silver and chant raider songs. It's in the law, okay, guys? But alongside the Big Ten laws, sat other judicial or civil laws, some of which we would call separation laws. And while the idea of righteousness dealt with all laws, the Judaism of Jesus' day, more often than not, focused on these separation laws. And the separation laws were determining, like, who was righteous and who was not. Uh, and this was, heart, this was at the heart of the Jewish system of Jesus' day. It was this thinking that caused Jesus to tell us to be on our guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, okay? Jesus, Judaism took these separation laws, and they used them to decide who was in and who was out, and they kind of set the boundary markers, a fence around Judaism. So, it looked like, looked like this here. Here was Judaism, here was Israel, and around it was this fence of the laws, uh, religious days that you had to keep, the practice of circumcision, the, the kosher food laws of what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, uh, not intermarrying with other nations, purity laws on how to wash yourself and, and wash your cooking utensils, dressing a certain way, or, or cutting, cutting your hair on certain days. <laughs> not, not really going to happen for you and me, Vondell, is it, man? You know, we just polish these days, don't we? You know, but as I often say, they, they, don't put, they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. That's what I think, okay? Uh, the Sabbath was another law, okay? Uh, and actually, this fence that was around Israel uh, included 613 commandments or mitzvots. 613. Uh, 248 were positive. 365 were negative. The Talmud suggests that 
248, which were the positive ones, were the number of bones in the male body, and 365 was obviously the days in a solar year. And the topics that these laws, these 613 separation laws included, ranged and were a pretty exhausting list. But the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the experts in these matters, used these laws to determine who was in and who was out. This list of laws and law keepers defined Israel. Now, God had begun this list. I mean, it's, it's, some of this list is there in the Scriptures. And initially, the list was a good thing. Israel was to be distinct. It was to be holy. It was to be set apart. It, 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 it was to be different than the other nations, uh, and they worshipped other gods, and, and their faith demanded other things. But Israel was to be set apart for God. And that's true today of the new Israel, the church. Uh, and it's rather sad that Christians and non-Christians look very similar. Or it's rather sad that uh, our differences, our distinctions have led many Christian groups to be rather odd and highly legalistic. Like, take the keeping of the Sabbath. No other people in the days of Israel, no other nation kept that one. It made Israel distinct and separate and unique from all the other nations of the world. And this uniqueness was a sign of their devotion to the one true God. So, these separation laws initially sent, given by, by, by God were to ensure that God's people remained true to their God and that they didn't get polluted by others around them who didn't believe in the same God. The laws weren't ever to keep people out, but to guard and shape those who were in, keep them true and faithful and holy. The law, and if you're taking a note, take a note of this, the law was never the source of righteousness. It was the course of righteousness. But the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, took the good idea of what God began in the Torah and then used these laws and added to them and twisted them and complicated them. And they did that so they could control and hold power and authority and decide who was in and who was out. They manipulated the people. They became the gate the gatekeepers, and they used this to breed exclusivity and shut other people out. Now, come back to me, okay? If you were away for those six minutes, come back, okay? This is the ground of much of Jesus's controversy, because at the heart of Jesus, like the heart of God, is the immense desire for all people everywhere to come to Him, to belong to Him, to find their meaning and their life in Him and be His people. So, so take, take Jesus. Uh, when does He get into trouble? Well, you read the Gospels, uh, healing on the Sabbath or picking grains on the Sabbath. Or He says, it's not what goes into your mouth that matters, but what comes out. And he questions the kosher laws, or, or he ate with tax collectors. Certainly, they didn't prepare their food kosher, okay? Jesus got into trouble, stirred up the controversy with regards to the boundary markers. He challenged the use of the separation laws that caused the religious leaders to criticize him and malign him, eventually to condemn him. And now, if you're still with me, a question arises in your head. How can Jesus just lay aside the laws that God gave in the Torah? How can He annul what was in the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of Moses? And this is an excellent question, and it gets to the heart of the issue over Jesus. Jesus redefines who are in and who can get in because Jesus redefines the boundary markers, and He defines them 
now around himself. Not because he annuls the law or rejects the law, but because he completes it or he fulfills it, as Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, his arrival, the eschatological arrival of the Messiah, the Christ, changes everything, including the law. Who is this man? Who is this man who stands and casts out demons and heals the fever and brings the leper back into society? Who is this man who seems to challenge the very laws that God gave Israel to define who they were? And everything about who he is and what he's capable of doing is revealed in an amazing story at the start of Mark's gospel chapter 2. Everything that happens in this short story in Mark's Gospel chapter 2 is in fact a fast summary of what will in the end put Jesus on a Roman cross charged with blasphemy. This is a tiny version of the entire gospel. So if you're going to memorize one gospel story, memorize Mark's Gospel chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. It's a summary of the entire gospel. And here's the story. I'm going to read it to you. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were were sitting there thinking to themselves, "Why, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Memorize that gospel story, folks, because it's the heart of the entire gospel. Here's a man carried to Jesus by his friend. I hope you're carrying someone to Jesus. And these friends break open the flat roof of the house and they lower the man on a mat to the feet of Jesus. He's a paralytic, and after chapter 1, and the healings that took place in chapter 1, they weren't going to let a big crowd stop them getting their buddy healed by the healer of people. And Jesus stops his teachings as this man gets lowered down onto the floor, and he blows them away with what he says. Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus turns to the man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And that's the sentence. That's the controversy. That's the whole point of the entire story. Everything about this man, it's this sentence that gets you killed, Jesus. This man wanted to be able to walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The man had just been looking for a simple get up and walk. And the story would have been over for him as long as it was concerned. But Jesus does the controversial thing. Thank God he does the controversial thing. If Jesus never did the controversial thing, most of us would still be avoiding spare ribs when we eat out and have thrown away our Gillettes and have had a little snip somewhere and changed our names to Bernard or David and learned how to host a Batvitsa. 
But even then, we'd all probably be on the not in the club list because we'd, we wouldn't hold to the 613 other commandments. Jesus did the controversial. Now, He didn't need to do the controversial. Like in chapter 1, He's been doing loads of miraculous healings. He could have just pulled one of them out of His bag and sent the man away healed. But He knew that while the man might be able to walk, the man was not made whole. The man might have been a paralytic with legs that didn't function, but the man was also a paralytic with a heart that didn't function. And the man might have looked at his legs and thought, my legs need a fixing. But Jesus looked deeper and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, this is not a talk about the relationship between sin and suffering, between illness and sinfulness, and maybe another day at another place, okay? This is a talk about how Jesus moved the boundary markers from who is in and who is out by moving the issue from what Jesus can do, He can heal you, to who Jesus is. He's the forgiver of sins. Jesus is really eager to make you righteous, not through an outward observation of 613 laws, but through inner cleansing and forgiveness. The former is the work of priests or rabbis. The latter is the work of God. The former defense, the laws, is the course of righteousness, but it's the latter that is the source of righteousness, and that's the controversy. The source of righteousness is always God, and Jesus declares Himself to be God. Verse 7, and the legal experts grumbled amongst themselves, how dare this fellow speak like this? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins except God? Exactly. And there's the glimpse of the controversy that will eventually lead to Jesus being crucified. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 64, accused of blasphemy. And verse 8 in chapter 2, immediately Jesus knew in His Spirit that this was what they were thinking. <laughs> like, like, is Jesus guilty of presumption of knowledge, or does He actually hold divine prerogative and power? And to the stunned, puzzled, still paralytic man, remember at this point, the man still is a paralytic. He does something more. He turns to the scribes and the Pharisees and the experts in the law, and He asks them, which is easier? to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or get up, take your mat, and walk? Well, here's the answer. It's easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> like, like, nothing worse than saying to the paralytic man in front of a crowd, get up and walk. Like, what if it doesn't work? <laughs> a major loss of street cred as a miracle doer if the man doesn't walk. So, of course, it's much easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven you. That's invisible. There's no objective way to know if that actually happened. And to the puzzled paralytic and to the stunned scribes who were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, this controversial son of man, this controversial Jesus, my Jesus, now tells the man to get up and walk and he does. And all of a sudden, every critic who wondered why someone could eat with sinners or redefine the law is left with annoying wonder. Could this man be more than a man? And then, with that question hanging in the air, Mark writes an innocuous little story about Jesus inviting a tax collector to follow Him. And like when you and I read it, it's the calling of Levi, and that's not a pair of jeans, that's a man's name, okay? 
in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, you, ha you have this pinnacle of him being charged with blasphemy and healing a paralytic, and then all of a sudden, we get this story about him calling a tax collector, and it seems innocuous. But whilst that might appear innocuous to you and I, to Jewish people, especially Jewish religious people, this was not innocuous. Jewish people, religious Jews, brought scathing judgment on tax collectors. They listed tax collectors amongst murderers and thieves. If a Jew became a tax collector, they could no longer testify in court. They were classed as wicked people. If a tax collector touched your house, it was classed as unclean, and you needed to go all through the rituals to cleanse your house. Tax collectors weren't allowed in the synagogue. They were kicked out. Uh, you work for the IRS, you can't go to church here. Like, try the Pentecostal church down the road. They'll take anybody, seemingly. The Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of the oral traditions of Judaism, the oral Torah. So, you've got the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the, the Pentateuch, uh, the books of Moses, and then uh, the oral traditions are the interpretations of the rabbis down through history. So, the Mishnah, it taught that if you made a vow, which is a serious thing to do, you could only break that vow if it were made to three types of people, a murderer, a robber, or a tax collector. In other words, essentially, Jews were allowed to lie with impunity to tax collectors. <laughs> no, that's not funny. Okay, why this hatred? Why this hatred? Tax collectors weren't just corrupt, charging you more tax than they meant to, some for their own pocket, but they were a reminder of Roman domination. These taxes were to Caesar, and therefore the tax collector was seen to be colluding with the enemy. So this Jesus, who had just claimed to be able to forgive sins, something only God can do, this Jesus, who then caused people to wonder if he really could be making the paralytic walk, and they see him do this miracle, he then invites a dirty, cheating, sassanach tax collector to follow him. What about the 613 laws? What about who was meant to be in and who was meant to be out? What about the righteous, those who deserve to be there, accepted, embraced, invited? And then Jesus then makes this outlandish statement, which is a mixture of irony and controversy. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, I have not come to call the righteous, the so-called righteous, but sinners. This is crazy talk. This was radical. Everybody knows that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come for the righteous people. He, he's going to come to gather them together and reward them, and he's going to punish the sinners, the wicked people. That's what every rabbi taught. That's what the scribes said, the Torah taught. That's why the 613 mitzvots are so necessary. We need to know who's in and who's out, because one day those who are in will be rewarded, and those who are out will be rightly punished. And Jesus, who is claiming to be the Messiah, this Jesus who's claiming to be God, says he didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. Jesus, Jesus is good news for sinners and not so good news for the righteous. Which one are you? Here's why it's good news for sinners and not for the righteous. The righteous, the scribes and the Pharisees, it's all about what you do. You've kept the 613 laws. It's called halakha. Things that you've done. Look how good I am at living out my faith. That's a problem because not only can't you keep all the 613 commandments, you'll never be able to earn righteousness. If righteousness comes through doing, then you and me, whoever, no one will be, ever be righteous. 
as for sinners, <laughs> well, look at them. There was the paralytic. Well, he was brought. He couldn't even walk to Jesus himself. He was helpless. Nothing he could do. Jesus did it. Take the leper. Take the mother-in-law with the fever. Take the man possessed with the evil spirit. Nothing that they could do. Jesus did it. Good news for sinners? <laughs> Bad news for self-righteous. Which one are you? I suggest you start to follow the controversial Jesus. Of course, to begin to follow him, you've got to be willing to say that you're a sinner. And how much better off would South Valley Community Church be if everyone who walked in these doors, whenever we open them back up again, is willing to say, I'm the chief of sinners. I reckon that could change the church. I reckon that could change Lamar. Certainly changed me. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we lay down our striving and our heavy yoke of trying to live up to the expectations of everyone. And humbly, we say, Lord, we are sinners. We don't keep the law. We're not as good as we look. We pretend an awful lot. But thank you for your grace and your mercy. And like the man who laid in the floor, we're grateful that you've turned to us and said, Gilbert, you're forgiven. And now may we live in the good of that forgiveness, not with pride, not with a sense now that we earned it or that we're better, but that we live in the knowledge of the amazingness of the Jesus that we follow. And may we follow him as saved sinners rather than pretending righteous. Come, we pray, God, and help us to follow the controversial Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll see you in two weeks' time, folks, to keep on talking a little bit about Mark's gospel and how the controversy continues. Have a great week. God bless.